0: Okay, so Perak Aleph in Shmuel Aleph begins with the introduction of the lineage of Shmuel. And we talk about his father, basically. And We start off by talking about Elkanah. And then we learn that this whole section, and that is actually the first eight chapters, is really the story of Shmuel's leadership. Now, it's very interesting that the beginning of chapter nine, we're up to chapter nine. The beginning of chapter nine is a similar kind of introduction to the family of Shaul. We get the whole yifis of. Uh, Kish, who is Shul's father. So we see that this is the introduction to this new person. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, so we'll take it bit by bit. Um, First of all, we're reacting at this chapter to what happened previously, which was that the 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 elders came to Shul and said, we want a king. We want a king? We're tired of the uncertainty. And it seems that very much what was bothering them was the uncertainty of the leadership. Like who knows where it's coming from. They wanted some more stable kind of system of government. And it's possible that they had no intention of insulting Shmuel, but they did manage to insult Shmuel. They had managed to insult God. And, and yet Hashem says, do it for them. Now, the way the Tanakh works is we don't get all the information in one go. So the information that we have right here is that the people want a king, the people have asked for a king. But as this parrot develops, particularly later on, Hashem says, this is the man who will save my people from the Philistines. And later on in chapter 11, right? We see that they need to be saved from the people of Amon also. So the information that the Jewish people are um, threatened on both sides, in the west from the Plishtim and on the east from Amon, that information we get sort of in dribs and drabs. So the way the Tanakh builds, we just get, you know, the, the story itself, the story where we have the the prophet, and, you know, his, he's being told, you're not, you're not making it anymore, we need somebody else. Mm-hmm. And now, in chapter nine, we're looking at a, a new beginning. And there seems to be a very great um, potential here, a very great possibility for something wonderful. So we're going to put on the on the side all of our doubts and worries, and we're going to concentrate on who's going to be the first king.
1: So, we're going to screen share now. Um, okay, basically, if you can see from this
0: particular um, edition, you see, there's no breaks. The entire parak chapter nine, is one long narrative. Now you can break it up into little parts, and there are like stops here, samach here, samach, samach, and a pei. But it looks like it's it's one long story. It's kind of there's something very sweet and special about this story, where we have the the moment where Shaul and Shmuel meet. So let's take a look for a minute here. You see here the. Philistines are over here in the west. The Ammonites are on the east. This is information that comes out in chapter nine, a little later, about the Philistines, and at chapter uh, 11 about the Ammonites. We don't have that information right now, but we are meeting Shaul's father. And we start off like this Posek Aleph. There are echoes here, if you if you are paying attention. There are echoes to the Megillah of Esther, right? You know, and Mordechai is also called Ishimini, and his yichus is uh, related to Shaul. But you have here, if you look at the text, Spinyamin, there is a. Uh, Ketiv in a Korean. even in this edition, you have this Ketiv that it's broken up into Ben Yamin. Originally, when Rachel gives the name to her son, she's dying in childbirth. She says, Ben Oni, the son of my, um, my affliction, right, my loss. And you have here, uh, Yaakov changes it to Ben Yamin. And here it's also Ben Yamin emphasized. So we have to take ourselves back in history for a moment and try to remember when was the last time we saw Sheva Binyamin, and it wasn't a pretty thing that we saw that, right? At the end of Sefer Shoftim, chapter 19, there's a horrific story of the concubine Geva Pilegesh Begeva, who is attacked, uh, it's a gang rape, she dies um, of the affliction, and because the perpetrators were from the town of Giba, which was a Benjaminite town, the eleven other tribes uh, gathered and fought against Benjamin. So Benjamin has not had, uh, um, you know, a tremendous, you know, good press in the last, you know, time. We don't really know because the last five chapters of Shoftim are not. We don't have a chronology there. We don't know when that happened, but it's at least 50 years. It's, it's some time, you know, after that, uh, Shimshon, Ailey, 40 years of we, we It's been a while, and things have changed, but it's very significant that it's been Yamid. And Kish is the son of Abiel. Now, take a look here at the Malban. There were two reasons that Hashem chose Sheol, the Malim says, the first reason in in this Pasuk, because he is related to his father, whose name was Kish, who was a son of Aviel. In Divrei Yamim, Nair is the father of Kish. We have a question, who is the father of Kish? Is the father of Kish Aviel, or is the father of Kish Nair? And the Chachamim say that Aviel was his actual name, and I have a grandson named Aviel, who's a cutie. And Aviel, right, was also known as Nair, right? So it's because Hayamadlik wrote Le Bim V'ot Afelot. So you have a person named Aviel who lit up dark ways to save people from stumbling. From falling, and he was Mizaka the Robin, an expression meaning he did good for the for the community. And this was a great marriage for Abiel. And as a nickname, they called him Nair. And it's interesting that Shaul's commander-in-chief, we find out later, is Avner Ben-Nair. So that is his first cousin. So Nair and Kish are brothers. And it seems that Aviel called one son Kish and the other son he called Mer after the nickname that they gave him. And that makes Shaul and Avner first cousins. That's always one of these favorite questions in like Torah contests, like Av, Mer. Who is the son? Is the father Av? Is the Av, the Mer, the father of the candle, who's really the son? Right? So it's very cute. Anyway, he's also Ben, ben Ishimini Gibor chayel. Now here we're talking about Kish. Ben Ishimini, we just said for Binyamin, so what does that mean? The Tzuta says it means he is an important person, right? Ishu diya we say that Mordechai, is So we're adding here that he's an important person and is a Gibor Chayil. So the mom makes another interesting comment here and he says, because Kish was a Gibor Chayil, Givurata av toli because the father is a Gibor Chayil, so we're also going to see that the son is going to be Hibor So that's one reason that we're choosing Sha'ul for king, is that he comes from an illustrious Binyamin family, uh, parents, uh, three generations, Tzadikim, Pasuk Sha'ul. Now we're going to talk about the son. B'chur choice and good. There is no one in Israel better than him. Mishikma v'amala gabomi kaham. The is a shoulder. So this is the origin of the phrase "head and shoulders above the crowd." From his shoulders and up, he was taller than everyone else. So now we have to examine the phrase. ain't from told me, "Man, what does that mean? How do we explain that?" So generally speaking. If you say someone is good, you're not referring to their looks.
1: You do have um, some of them Farshim say he was handsomer than everyone else.
0: But most of the Farshim understand it to me that he was a person, of very fine midot, And in fact, he had the finest midote of anyone in the whole country. Right? Aim Ish This is a startling comment about Shaul. He was such a wonderful person. Now the Malbim says in Pasuk Aleph he was chosen because of Aviel and Kish's father and grandfather. And here it says Shaul Atzmo Right.
1: Um, Told him that he was the best in his midot,
0: right? And also, he mentions that he was also a very, very good-looking guy, very tall, very handsome, and it's kind of, you know, it helps to look the part. If you actually, you know, follow, you know, today's politics, you have to know. Like, you know, I remember that. Back in the days when, you know, we had a certain president in America that was running and he was definitely not a good looking person and, and they, they laughed at him, he laughed at him, he's not good looking, and then when he goes to get, like, his makeup done, they laughed at him for getting his makeup done. But there is something about uh, Sha'ul that's very striking, his kind of presence, he's got the height, and um, it's it's very interesting. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about the Binyamin thing. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we don't have a lot of time,
1: but I do want to mention it. Okay. So really, in Beresh, right,
0: it says here, this is the bracha that Yaakov gives to Yehuda. This is a very, very famous person. And the understanding of many of the freshman is that this means the, the Shevet, in other words, the scepter, the rulership will never leave Yehuda. He will always have lawgivers until the day that Shiloh comes, until Mashiach comes. So now we have a problem. If the king is supposed to be from Yehuda, if he's supposed to be the leader perpetually, so then why are we starting off with Binyamin? That doesn't seem to follow. So now, take a look here, the Ramban. I, you know, I found a, an English translation of Ramban because it's really intense. Ramban says, um,
1: the scepter will not depart from Yehuda to one of his brothers. The monarchy of Israel will always be from him.
0: One of his brothers shall not reign over Israel until Mashiach comes. What about Shaul? because, and this is, a, this is a very, very famous Ramban, because, if you're following here, the request for a king at that time was repellent before God. He did not wish to set upon them a the king from the tribe, which would hold the permanent monarchy, and he gave them a temporary monarchy. This is hinted in Hosea, right? Here in Hosea, it says, At l'cha melech ve ve'kach I will give you a king in my anger, and I will take him away in my rage." Now, if we're going back to the Ramban here, we're saying that the, that the giving of Shaul as a king is just a, a stopgap measure. The real king is supposed to come to Huda. This is a very famous comment on the Ramban. And when Shmuel says in chapter 13, he tells Shaul, you messed up, and if you hadn't messed up, you would have a dynasty forever. So then the, then the Ramban says, well, he might have been a, a ruler over B'nai Yosef, or he might have been a second ra- tier ruler. He's got all kinds of ideas. And he also mentions, by the way, that he thinks this was the reason that other tribes never succeeded as kings because it was supposed to be Ehudah. OK. I did bring you also the Ibarbanel, but did not find a translation for on The Ibarbanel the totally disagrees with the Ramban. No, 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 no. He says, you're interpreting the Pusuk wrong, right? And he gives some very telling proofs. He says, really, I'll give you the short version. Really what uh, the Abarbanel is saying is that when it says the scepter shall not leave Yehuda, it doesn't refer to monarchy. The monarch, and, and we don't really care if the monarch is from Yehuda. The monarch is supposed to be the best person at the time. And you know, later on, we're told that David is better than Shaul, but at this time, David is not up to that. So now Shaul is the best person. So he says, what is Yehuda different? And this, he makes a very convincing case, in my opinion, because he said is always counted separately. They're always the most important. Even Shaul, when he counts the people in, in chapter 11 for the war, there's 300,000 from Israel and 30,000 from Yehuda. is always separate. They always get the most honor. They always get the most respect. So he goes into a whole discussion of this, which we don't have time for. But I just wanted to give you the sense of this particular problem. In in any event, it is sort of um, it is kind of an accepted idea in the Hazal that the monarchy of Shaul was not expected to last the way the monarchy of David did, but Shaul. You know he's a good guy. He starts off with a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, points in his favor. Okay, so now we go to the story. Okay, um, <clears throat> if you if you just follow the barbanel, you could just say that really, according to them, the barbanel malbum as well, merit is what counts. You saw what the malbum said. Aviel was a tzaddik, kish is a tzaddik. Shaul has better midot than anyone else and he's good looking to boot. So he's got all the, check off all the boxes. So it seems that Hashem is interested in the merit here. And now we have this kind of fantastical sort of story where we have you know, two people who need to get together that is Shaul and Shmuel and a kaddish Baruch who orchestrates this whole Situations so that they meet at precisely a certain moment, and so our, one of our important conclusions is that you know we, we sometimes don't see it in front of our faces, but the hashgaha is working. There's hashgaha pratis, and everyone um, can see it sometimes, like so it's, it's startling when you can see it.. So Keisha's donkeys get lost, but these are female donkeys, okay? Not to be confused with uh, Billam's Hamor. These donkeys have no particular personality in this story, but they have gotten lost. Now, according to Dat Nikra, and the Malabim also mentions it, donkeys do not usually roam too far away, but nobody can find these donkeys, right? Now, if you think of it, you probably can uh, imagine that if you compare a donkey to like, um, you know, any kind of solid piece of property today. But the fact that Kish has many donkeys is an indication that he's a, a wealthy person. He's a, he's a respectable, wealthy person. And And another indication that Kish is pretty well off, because he says, go take one of the servants, one of the boys. The real question is why does he send Sha'ul on this errand, and it, why doesn't he send a servant alone or two servants, and that's what you have servants for, right? So again, we start seeing the orchestration of a Kaddish Baruch Hu in this story. Sha'ul needs to be in a certain place at a certain time, and the donkeys are a means of getting him there. So, and also, you know, you can imagine that Sha'ul is a very responsible He's a good son. Maybe the father trusts him more than he trusts the servant. He says, okay, if Shaul is going to take care of it, I know that he will be responsible. Dalet. Now Notice in Pasik that we have sometimes and sometimes
1: So here's a map. One second, just the map. Yeah. So you see this the, he's from Giva,
0: the infamous Giva, which is here. Okay, now they're going to Erit Shalim is here, and they're going to Erit which really should be over here. This is all an estimation. That Mikro kind of tries to figure out where they're going. And it seems as if they separated at certain points based on the text. He went here, he went there, you check here, He checked there, they'll go together. They're not finding these donkeys. This is going on for days. And this is a very strange story because apparently donkeys don't do that. I have to <laughs> freely admit I know nothing about donkeys. I'd rather not know anything about donkeys. They can stay in the zoo or the farm. I'm okay with that. I'm not such an animal lover, but it does seem to be odd behavior for them to disappear. They came to Eretz Tzuf. Now Eretz Tzuf, okay, if you recall that Shmuel comes from Ramatayim Tzofim and one of his ancestors is called Tzuf and Tzuf is from the root of to look out, Harat like Mitzpeh, right? So this is a place where the Chazal say there's a lot of Nevi'im and Shmuel lives there. In in Rama, otherwise known as Rama Tophim. So don't forget Shilo has been destroyed, so this is where Shmuel is now. So they get to Eretz and Shmuel is like, "That's enough, right? Let's go." Home. I, I think that this is one of the things that
1: tells us that he's a responsible young man, because he's keeping his eye on the main thing. He says.
0: Let's go back, because my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and worry about us. Now, there's a lot to this particular comment, which is really really something very deep to think about. He says... My father will stop worrying about the donkeys. He's going to worry about us, and we know, right? We know who's his father really going to be worrying about? Achaz, he's not going to be worrying about the servant. He's going to be worried about the son. And we find out in chapter ten that that's exactly what his father is saying: me, where's my son?" But why does Shoals say he's going to worry about us? And this is, you know, one of the things that we have to learn to do when we're learning Tanakh is to extract information from these short words that we're given, right? If Sho'ol says, my father will worry about us, it tells us that Sho'ol is a very considerate and thoughtful human being. He's humble, right? He's a very humble person. He talks to the, the servant, you know, um, what do they call it in Israel, Begova Enayin, right? He's going to worry about us. And we all
1: know that that's, it's really uh, not true. But he says here, um, he he's going to think that we're
0: lost and it's going to be a problem, right? And gonna worry about us so we see this and i think that we should definitely extract a lesson from this and how to treat other people uh respect kaboda Biot, other people deserve their their or their honor and uh we treat people who are um you know people who work for us with respect this is extremely important now <clears throat> Now, this is this boy is very interesting. He goes, wait a second, we're right here where the man of God is. He's a very well-respected person. Everything he says comes true. Let's go to the man of God and maybe he will tell us our way, that we should go in it. So, <clears throat> again, we have um, a, a, an interesting interplay between Shaol and this boy, the youth, the servant. He says, let's go home. It's already enough. And he says, you know what? There's a man of God here. Let's go ask him. Everything he says comes true. Now, back in chapter um, 3, we're told that Shmuel is Ne'eman, he is faithful. And it says there, everything he says comes true, right? Oh, you told me, it doesn't fall to the ground. And I actually don't know if anyone else in the Tanakh that has that description. Everything he says comes true. And you have to bear in mind, and the, the first you talk about it, the, um, the Radak in particular says there are types of, you know, um, magicians and and sorcerers that people would go to for different questions. And, you know, you got, you know, got what you paid for. Sometimes they gave you a good answer. Sometimes they didn't. But here he says, now this is, this one is reliable. So we have to ask ourselves a number of questions here, which we'll get to the next few Is like, why would they think the appropriate address for asking about their lost donkeys is and Well. Would you go to the Godel and say, I lost my keys, can you tell me where they are? It's just not the thing. Why would you do that? Very weird. But it seems not to have been an out-of-place request. So then we, we have to wonder what was actually the role of Shmuel at this time. Zion, And Shol And answering him, Okay, again, right? A lot of employers would say, we're going to do what I say. I really am not interested in what you say, but he takes it very seriously. So, okay, let's go. But um, navi la'ish, notice that beautiful play of words, right, the Navi, what do we bring for the Navi? It means used up, gone, right, to go away. There's no more bread in our vessels. We're out of everything. We, we don't have a gift. To get, we have to come with something in our hands. And what do we have? We have to bring him something, which is so interesting. Now, we have to ask ourselves, based on what we know about Shmuel, is this a logical thing? Does that make sense that they're going to ask? that they're going to need to pay Shmuel for his services. And here we have a very uh, great question, because back in chapter three, it says, all of Israel knew from Dan to Beersheba, from the highest and most northern place to the most southern place, everybody knew that Shmuel was faithful, right? If everyone knows about Shmuel, how come these guys don't know that you don't need to pay Shmuel? So it's, it's an interesting sort of um, question, something to think about. Different commentators have different you know ideas about this, but the Raul suggest suggests that we had, they needed a particular object. If you recall back in Bracius, okay, Yitzhak wants to give breakfast to Yaakov and Asa, specifically to Asa. And he asks him to bring him food. So there's some sort of thing there that the, the commentators talk about, like when he has the food, he will focus on them, on that person, and that will help him get the answer to his question. It's sort of a very uh, strange kind of thing, but that's how he's going to connect. Right? But it's it's still strange. Another thought that I had is that Perhaps the tribe of Binyamin is so out of things since the time of the Pilagish Begiva that, you know, they don't even know what's going on. They're just not, not part of it. They're out of it. So that's another you know, possibility. So this kid is very resourceful. And the kid says, shekel, silver. I'll give it to the man and he'll tell us what to do. I still have a, a bit of money. Now, we have a shekel, it's two zuz, right? You know, he bought the Chad uh, Gadia with two zuzim. So it's a not an insignificant amount of money. He says, don't worry, Shul, I got money. We need money, we got money. And it's actually quite humorous in a certain sense that the one with the money is the servant and not the employer. Now we have a complete departure from this whole story. And the departure is This is a complete parenthesis out of place and what's going on here? Formally, lefanim means formally. Previously, in Israel, when a man would go to ask of God, we had that expression, we had Rivka, right? He would say, To the ro'eh, to the seer, S-E-E-R, seer. The one that we call today a Navi, a prophet, was formerly called a seer. Now this is very bizarre, okay, stop a second, because in a few psalm we're going to be talking about Shmuel as the seer, the row the ro the ro And so the, the katuv wants to, the text wants to let you know that when we're talking about the seer, we're talking about what we call today a Navi, very, very strange.
1: Now, it's a very famous Radak here. And Radak says, uh, okay, look, I I think I I kind of bored you with the chronology at
0: one point. So I'm just gonna give you the short version here. According to chapter 13, Shaul is only king for two years, which means, and Shaul, and Shmuel died at the same time, which means that this is like a very according to the Chazal, there's very little time here. There's two years, and so if we're talking about a two-year time, and at the end of these two years, Shmuel is going to die. So, what do we mean formally? You know, it's like saying, you know, in 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 formally in previous times, we had a play called COVID. It was two years ago. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not formally. It's not a preview. We we hope that it will, you know, fade into the dim recesses of the past, but it's not formally. This is a very strange expression. Formally, talking about 100 years ago, formally. 50 years ago, formally. But two years ago? So the Ratak asked this question, right? If Shaw was king for two years, what does it mean formally? What do we mean we called him Roe? Right, so it's he says. It doesn't mean we call them different things, but they had right. Um, they called them Roe Shmuel, and the Shovel and the youth, We'll have that in a minute, right? Um, and we're told that prophecy had come forth in the time of Shmuel, chapter three, and now we have. Prophecy and a Navi, he, he says, comes from Nibs it's from
1: speech. At the time of Shmuel, they still called him the seer, right? But there were some that called him a Navi, right? But they wish for and The Rohan would see things that
0: happen, and the Navi was more of a leader. Now, I have an article which clarifies this. Okay, which is... Repetiton
1: Sharon? Yes. Can I ask a question to understand? Could it be possible that because Shemuel and made himself a man of the people, kind of, that like, from what I understood with prophecy, it's like Hashem is sending a message.
0: But maybe he also had the ability to see things without just Hashem purposely sending him a message. So people would go to him for assistance, for things that they could not see, but it wasn't like Hashem is sending
1: him a specific message to tell to the people. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly right. It's a different function. It's a
0: different function. So what's happening in this article, I wanted to show it to you, Rav Yaakov here was... Um, he, this was taken from a speech that Rabiakov gave. Uh, essentially, it was a eulogy for Mikhezka Labrowski who passed away, a tremendous person. And what Rabiakov was saying in this long, long article, I just gave an excerpt where he says that...
1: <laughs>
0: somebody's not on mute, please mute yourself. Everybody, please mute yourselves. So you have here what uh, Rav Yaakov calls the end of an era, it's the end of an era. In other words, when Shmuel, right, was the Roe, he was also, he was the leader. Everybody came to him for everything, right? His role was global. If you needed anything, you went to Shmuel. Now what's going to happen, Right, that's, that's the way the shofate works. So, Rav Yaakov is quoting here if you take a look for a second at the beginning of Pirke Abot Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai, Mesore to Yeshua, Yeshua's Canaan was Canaan Vim. So, most people understand this Kenim as the, the judges. Moshe got the Torah, that's Chomish, he gave it to Yeshua, that's say for Yeshua. Yeshua gave it to this Canaan, that's Shofetim. and the next thing is in the V. Here we're not talking about history, we're talking about the chain of transmission of
1: Torah. So, here he says the change of the descriptive term roeh to Nabi was more than a
0: case of shift in common usage, it signified a change in the status of the prophet from his role as a Roe, a private individual who was a godly man, which is exactly what you're saying, really. He was everyone's connection to God to a Navi who is now the spiritual leader, a link in the chain of Masora. And he quotes the Mishnah Navas and he talks about this, but essentially, let me go back here. Essentially what he's saying, and I think you can see in the text is that we're now, it might be only a few years, but it's a change in era. The time of the judges is officially over. And Shmuel had that much more personal kind of role where people felt comfortable to ask him for their missing donkeys, right? That was the Ro'eh. But now we're going to have a king and the king is going to be the military leader. And the Navi who works with the king is going to be the spiritual leader. He's going to be more of a teacher in a different kind of role. It's not to say... that. You can't approach him, but there's a certain difference in his role. And that's how he understands this. I hope that's clear. Is that clear? So the Roeh is that it, that person that people go to to see, to help them. And the Nabi is already uh, a different role, a spiritual leader. That seems to be what's going on in tent. OK, we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to move along. If you have more questions, we could go over in, a, in the chat. Um, in the, uh, the WhatsApp chat, okay. I hope that's clear. Now, that indicates a complete turning point in Jewish history that we've just reached. Okay. Okay. Good idea. Let's go. They went to the city where there was the man of God, Rama. They're going up, and as they're going up, they find girls that are coming down to draw to draw water. It, the cities that are built on a hill, anything with a Ramah is built on a hill. You have to go out of it to go get water. And they meet the girls and they say, Is the seer here? And the girls answer, Posecute Ben. Yesh, he is. He behold, he's before you. Maherata, hurry now! He came to the city today. There's going to be a, a sacrifice and a celebration for the for the city on the high place. When you get to the city, you're going to find him. You see him before he goes up to the high place to to eat. Because people are not going to eat until he comes. Because he's going to bless the sacrifice. After that, the people who are invited will eat. And now go up because now you're going to find him. Now, if you pay attention to this rant, it's actually... Quite a lot, right? Right, if you think about it, yes, he's here. Go up, hurry because he's going to come to the city because he's going to have his ever. And when you get to the city, you're going to find him there because before you go up to the bottom, because then people aren't going to eat until he comes because he's going to make some and make the the sacrifice. And then when people leave after that, and if you hurry up now, you're going to find him. What the 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 comes, all asked this question, why are they talking so much? It's actually quite funny. What is all this babbling? So the famous answer, Rashi says, I mean, this guy is drop-dead gorgeous. So they just keep on babbling so they can stare at him. That seems to be, I didn't say Rashi said it. Rashi takes it from Chazal. They just keep talking because he's so good looking. They want to keep looking at him. Of course there are other explanations. The other explanation would be that the time had not come to end one rule and begin the next, we need a few more seconds. So everything is a split second time. You have to understand, one of the amazing things about this PERIC is what my niece calls HP. It's unbelievable every single detail. The fact that they can't find the donkeys, the fact that the kid has a half a shekel, a quarter of a shekel, the fact that you know the girls babble about, everything works together. So that, right? Pasuk Bayalu Ha'ir, This is like, huh? Hine is always used as a surprise. They're going up to the city, and as they enter the city, behold, they're kind of coming out to greet them to go up to the Bamach. Just as the girl said, he, and you know, I just want to say, the, the, there's a few places in the Tanakh where you see this like split second timing, which is a total HP, right? You have the Hashirach of You have, first of all, when Yaakov gets the bracha, right? Ah, Yetzel, Yetzel, Yaakov, Ezefah. They just miss each other. You have the same thing with Ehud after he stabs Eglon. He goes out, the servants come. It's just like amazing, right? And now you have Shol coming up and then he meets Shol. But I did want to mention here about this whole thing with the sacrifice. Uh, it, it's important to understand. I will try to extract lessons here. No one is eating from that meal until Shmuel comes. And that's why Shal has to hurry, because Shmuel is not going to make people wait for their food. And being a Jewish mother, I'm very big on that. Do not make people wait for their food. And I want you to know, I've been at Simchas where they don't serve any food because they're waiting for this one or that one. And it's really, it is a, a uh, trouble for the congregation, one should not make people wait. And if you have, you know, if, if you have a respected person, like the altar of Kelm was supposed to be the Sada Kedush in a wedding, he's he always going to be late and say, take somebody else. Don't wait for me, because he didn't want anyone to wait for their dinner. It's very important. It's also an in Indian of Kavadabriyos. Okay, so now we meet Shmuel. Now we have Pasuk Tetvav, Tetzayin, Yudzayin are all parenthetical, And we have what happened previously. And Hashem had revealed to the ear of Shmuel, one day before Shaul came, saying, at this time tomorrow, I am going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him notice the word, "nagid," a ruler, a governor, on my nation Israel, and he will save my nation from the hand of the Philistines, because I saw my nation, because they're crying out to me. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this class that you have Information that you get later on. God is getting complaints and cries from Jewish people from the oppression of the Philistines. We didn't hear about that. In, you know, in chapter 8, it was all about, you know, we, we need a king. Everyone's got a king and we want a king. And he says, Hashem says, this man is going to save my people. So we're getting a little bit of a different perspective on what a Baruch wants from this king. But we never really call him a king yet. Okay. And Hashem now Anna is not always answered. He, he spoke up to him. He says to
1: him, "That's the guy. ba'ami. This one ela
0: That's that famous thing you see on all the buses. Stop. He will stop my people. He will restrain them. What does that mean exactly? It means he will stop them from going to war. If not necessary, he will stop them from killing each other. He has a lot on his plate, this, this king. This is what he has to do. A lot of different, but notice the language now. Radak says that the whole thing happened because Shmuel got old, so that's why people were crying out to God because they were Shmuel got old, so people got lax, they sinned, they were, you know, because they sinned, they were punished with the Philistines, and that's why they're calling out. There is no indication of this in the text, however, that's like a theory of the Radaq. So anyway, one of the things you have to pay attention to also the Tanakh is that we, as the reader, are sort of omniscient. Like we know what Shaul has been up to. And now we're told what Shmuel has been up to. Right? Shaul and Shmuel don't know this about each other. Or maybe Schmuel knows a lot more than Shaul knows. But you have this sort of you know meeting of these two, and we we know what's coming. We know what's gonna happen here. But Shmuel sees him. And Shaul comes to him, He sees him at the gate. Now it seems odd. Like, is Shmuel alone? Is that possible? Please tell me, where is the house of the seer? And this is why in Pasuk Tet we had to find out what seer because we don't have this expression before. We haven't used it before. But this is what Sha'ul knows. This is what he's looking for. He's looking for the seer to help him with his issues. Where is the house of the seer? And I am the seer. Okay, before we go any further, we have to stop on that. Like Radak doesn't like that, but he makes a comment. Okay, Radak says here, I don't think that was immodest, right? Because he asked him, where's the house of the sea? What's he supposed to say? Right? I, I, a lot of times I ask my students, what would you say if someone comes to you and says, you know, hello, where is the house of, you know, fill in the blank, Sarah? And you're Sarah. So you say, well, I'm Sarah. What what are you supposed to say? Well, her house is over there. I did, it doesn't make sense to say that, but the Chazal say this was incorrect. It's
1: something you shouldn't do, and in fact, um, okay, stopboard here it must be in the The Chazal say he
0: stumbled here. He made a mistake. right? He should have said something else. You're the seer? I'm going to tell you, you don't see anything. And where did he tell him? When he goes to to look for David, he can't find him among Yishai's sons. He can't figure out which one is going to be the next king. So that's a little bit ahead of the game. Now, by the way, I did struggle with this. Like, what could he have said? And I found the answer with Yosef. Because Paro says to Yosef, Hey, I've heard that you know how to interpret dreams. And Yosef says, Biladai, it isn't me. Hashem, Ya'ane, Paro. Hashem will answer Paro's questions. And that's exactly where Shoal you know, it's very hard to criticize Shmuel. I mean, I think Shmuel is one of the greatest figures in Jewish history, but the thing that he should perhaps have said was, right, God is the one who sees. And then Sha'ul would have understood. But he says to him, I'm the seer. And then he proceeds to do all kinds of searing of seeing. He says, Come up with me to the high place and eat with me today. And I'll tell you anything you want to know. And by the way, those donkeys that are missing for three days, don't worry about them. So they're found already. And all of the is desirable, all the desirable things of Israel belong to you now and the house of your father okay, this is code for you're going to be the king, right? Because all of the precious things in the country are going to belong to you. So here's your, your Sha'ul, right? And he's coming looking for his donkeys. And he meets this man who probably looks very important, but still he says, well, where is the seer? And he says to him, oh, oh, you're going to come eat with me. I'm the seer. We're going to eat with me. And I'll tell you everything you want to know. And don't worry about the donkeys. But I didn't say anything about the donkeys. So it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa a little bit through. What? I didn't ask you about the donkeys. Don't worry about the donkeys. They're found. So now all of a sudden, in his room. can you imagine how Shul is feeling right now? I'm just asking for the donkeys. And he says, I'm going to go eat with him. And I'm going to be the king. And what is he, what are you talking about? I'm from Benjamin. Benjamin's on the Alps. We're, we're. Even if they weren't the youngest of Yaakov's sons, they would still be the smallest. There are only 600 men left at the end of Shoftim. And my family's the youngest of all the, the families of Benjamin. What are you talking about? And again, what do we learn about Shaul? He's very humble. His humility, according to Chazal, that's what gave him the kingship. He's very modest. Okay, what are you talking about? And now Shmuel doesn't answer him, he shows him. He takes Shaul, he takes his nar, he brings him into a special chamber and he gives them a place at the head of all the people who have been invited, all the dignitaries. I, I don't, I, he doesn't say, yes, you're going to be the king, you deserve to be the king. He, just, he doesn't even respond. He says, this is your place at the head of the table and there's only 30 people there. So, you know, if you, it's a committee, it's a, it's a, it's a distinguished guest, And he's like, at the head. Now, tabach is the cook. Mitbach is a kitchen. It comes from the word tabach, which is to slaughter, because mostly that's what the cooks used to do. Give me, please, the portion that I told you to hold by you. I have set aside a special portion. It's very not clear what healehed. But the shok is like some kind of um, uh, the, the thigh, the leg, and all of the meat that's on it. And he, by yassim shoh, he puts it in front of him. <inaudible> He's not the leftovers, but what had been reserved. Where's <inaudible> reserved? Come put it here and eat. <inaudible> now it seems that the speech here is given by Shmuel, not by the cook. He puts it before Shaol. He says, Eat, right? Everything is re- saved for you when I made my portions for all the people that I that I called. by Yochha and Shmul And Sheol's eating with Shmuel. All of a sudden, he's being elevated to this great position of honor. They come down from the high place. And Shaol speaks to them at the top of his house. So Agag in those days was flat. So there was a place for them to talk. They got up early. These two men were not sleeping. Shmuel is very excited. Shmuel becomes very, very attached to Sha'ul, his surrogate son. And Sha'ul is is completely overcome and overwhelmed by this, you know, um, uh, incredible turn of events. And they get up early, which probably didn't sleep much. When and the dawn rises, they rush more. They come back to the room. They more kuma. Get I'm going to talk. I'm going to send you. But Yakam Shul, by Yeshua's name, who is Shul? So they're going outside. Yordim They're coming to the edge of the city. He's going to walk him
1: out. And more la
0: they're coming down. Okay, don't forget, Ramas High Place is coming down toward the edge of the city, and she will tell your young man to go ahead. Now, if you notice the Via Avor, and he will go ahead, this is future. Via Avor, that's your converse above. That's your baba the The future becomes past. And he went ahead. This is a very savvy kid, by the way, because he it's interesting. There's also a little bit of, of nimusim here, right? Shmuel doesn't tell the youth go ahead. That's not his servant to tell. He tells Shaul, tell him to go ahead. This is private. This is between me and you. He doesn't have to hear. And the kid hearing that he goes ahead, doesn't need to be told, because he's quite a smart kid, right? Now, stand here and I will tell you the word of God. So, the the peric ends in this very interesting spot where we all know what's going to happen. Now he's going to be anointed king, right? But we're leading up to that, and, and Shemuel and Shaul are in this, like, this is like a high point. This whole beautiful magical story of the lost donkeys and coming to the man of God and coming and meeting and it's all culminating in the anointing of the first king which is going to happen in the, in the next chapter in chapter 10. I will make a comment that I heard which is actually very interesting a lot of um there's a lot of discussion about what we find about Shaul here at that <clears throat> is he actually showing
1: uh, um,
0: leadership qualities here? So you have the detractors and the detractors say, well, you know, his his servant is running the show. Let's go to Shmuel. I got money. Let's go here. Uh, Like, it sounds like, you know, and he's like, okay. It sounds like the servant is running the show. So the detractors say he's not really showing any leadership here. And you have a, the, the proponents saying, well, you know, Sha'ul is so incredibly humble, his midot is so beautiful, he's so thoughtful to the people around him, to the, the youth, to whoever he's talking to, and this is also true, he has beautiful midot, and this is also something very, very important. Uh, one thing I heard, which is actually, I think, uh, worth sharing with you, and I'll, I'll end with this thought. If you look in Seyfried's Barim, and I think we, we did look at it last time, the, <clears throat> the things that we learn about a king, that in chapter eight, we learned what a king is allowed to do. He's allowed to you know, take your, your, your sons and your daughters and put them to work. But the things that we're told in the Chumash that a king is not allowed to he's not allowed to have too much money. He's not allowed to have too many wives. He's not allowed to have too many horses. And oh, this is Rob Bazak who makes such an interesting comment. And he's not allowed to become haughty. He says, this Perak shows you that he is exactly fit for king because he's not to have too many horses because he's a man who deals with donkeys. And he's not gonna have any money. He doesn't have any money. He has to borrow from his servant. And he's not gonna have too many wins because these girls are talking and talking and talking and going on and on at him. And he's just not, you know, it just like rolls off of him. He doesn't react to that. He's not a person who like runs after women. And then the fact that he's not supposed to, the room woman he's not supposed to become haughty. Well, you definitely got your man here. He's super, super humble. He's super modest. Who me, Sister Shmuel, I should be the king. Who am I? So um, uh, on that note, I'll I'll leave you with so uh, I thought it was a very uh, interesting way of looking at this parrot that actually it does show you that all of these you know
1: traps for a king that they, they don't really affect him. Okay, um we'll stop the screen share or
0: have any questions.
1: This was a very fascinating class, and Sharon. Thank you so much. Really fascinating.
0: Who's that, Neely?
1: Yeah, it's me. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I kind of love this parrot. It's a beautiful parrot. It's so, you know, it, it's so much hashkaha. It's like the split second timing, you know, and we taking this guy and like finding the great things about him and
1: bringing, elevating him. Yeah. Hashem. It's nice. I'm glad you enjoyed it.